Welcome to the Unlucky Frog Gaming Podcast. Uh, you are joined by uh, Josh Hartley, one of your usual hosts, and Tom Mannering's back. Hello! Hey. How are you doing? I'm okay. I'm okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm good. <laughs> you caught me off guard. You've asked me a question already. <laughs> I didn't think it was particularly taxing. Just like, I mean, if, 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 you're, if you're feeling under pressure for this... Wait until uh, we we dive into the real meat of this interview slash interrogation. But, <laughs> no, that's not why Tom's here. Uh, obviously, uh, Ben and Charlotte are moving house, so they uh, they will not be available for the next few weeks. So Mr. Mannering has uh, kindly agreed to step in as of like yesterday of this recording when I asked him. <laughs> You say you say kindly agree. What actually happens is you sort of roll me out of the cupboard that you keep me in for GMing sessions and things. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's not a cupboard. It's a, it's a coffin, like, and you rise up out of it. <laughs> it's a Nosferatu style. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, but no, it's been a, it's been a while since you've uh, been on the podcast. I think the last time our listeners will have heard from you will have been when we were doing our Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, sessions online. It will have been, yeah, yeah, the ones that got recorded, <laughs> the ones that made the recording. Yes, uh, technical issues. They are fun for everyone. They're great. Uh, but uh, no, we've got a little bit to have a chat about. So uh, why don't we dive right in with a bit of news on the old GW front? We've got uh, Warhammer, sorry, Warhammer Warcry Catacombs. To give it its full title is up for pre-order this weekend as as the weekend that this podcast comes out um and i was, I was speaking to ben last night about uh is there any, is there anything that we should cover off and he's he's raised the issue of the pricing of this box so um now bear in mind that the previous warcry starter box came out last august i think it was so we're not even we're like a little over 12 months ago right mm-hmm. so that uh that came out this one is rumored to be costing 210 us dollars now that is compared to the original us price of 170 dollars so as some kind uh user on reddit has done the maths for me is approximately a 23.5% increase for, <laughs> uh, over the course of a year and a bit. Yeah, that, uh, that COVID inflation's a bit, right? <laughs> <laughs> now, so we, we were, before we before we hit record on this, we were having a look at the, the contents of the set and trying to figure out, all right, why why has it gone up so much? Um, what do you think? I mean, we're having had a look at it. Um, so I, I kind of mentioned to you that to me, the, the, the game as it sort of is laid out and the display picture looks a bit flatter. Um, mm-hmm. so there's less of the, the three dimensional terrain while it is still there. Uh, it, it looks a lot flatter. There's less of the ruins and things, and it's more kind of the, the Warhammer quest sort of, uh, doors, um, that give it that more. That's fun. totally what they reminded me of as well. Yeah. 
Yeah, it gives it that more kind yeah, of the dungeon old vibe. Warm quest. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, those bad boys. Um and yeah, to me that there seems to be a bit less plastic in it, for want of a mm-hmm. better better word. Uh but you have countered that to point out that there are two books in this one rather than the one book. Yeah. So I I, I dare say, yeah, the book is the reason why it's costing a lot more. Um and I will say this, it still looks like a really nice boxed game. Mm-hmm. Like uh, the the war bands look great, um, the scenery is very nice, although maybe not quite as three dimensional as the the previous set was. Do you um, know what, what I would I would pick holes with as well? And this is maybe me being a bit of a grumpy Gus, but mm-hmm. as nice as the the lava board side is, where it's kind of a dungeon over a lava thing. There's not a great deal you can really do with that, you know. That a lot of that that area is used up by the lava, and then yeah. what, what space there is to play on, where you're going to be putting your terrain, you you don't really have that modular nature that you would have had with the the original board. So yeah. you're kind of you're kind of fixed to you know this is the way it's set up, which is a bit of a shame. That's no, that's a fair comment. I never even thought considered that, you know. But uh, it, the board, we we should say, is double sided. As it well. is. So, yes. Yeah, uh, you, you get a little bit more value there, um, but yeah. So that that comes out uh, for pre-order. It will be out now, in fact, for pre-order and out the following weekend, uh, as you dear listener uh, listening to this. Um, I think Ben has said he's going to pick this up. He was pretty keen on the first War Cry, uh, and pretty uh, a pretty big fan of the system mm-hmm. in general. I've had one game of it and it's really fun, uh, but I haven't like personally invested any time or effort into it. I don't know. Do you, do you think it's something you might pick up at a later point? I certainly won't be picking up the core game. No, um, no. I, it's unfortunate because I do think it looks great. I love the war bands. Uh, I think I mentioned on a previous podcast that I really like the Raven guys, the Corvus chaps. Yes. Um, I really like those models, and I, I was on the cusp of sort of picking those up on, on one of my trips to GW. I think Warcry's suffered, unfortunately, because of, of the current climate a little bit for yeah. people like myself that don't have the benefit of a you know a, a gaming outlet um, anymore, that I'm, I'm not really picking up sort of multiplayer components at the minute because I can't do anything with them. Um, <laughs> so... That puts a little bit of a kibosh on this for me, I would say, um, yeah. especially when, when you know, I've already kind of um, invested in Kill Team and and Blackstone Fortress. Uh, I'm kind of letting Ben take the lead on the the bulk of this one. I think <laughs> that's fair. Have you are you excited for a new Kill Team next year? Um, do you know I've not heard much about it? To be honest, there's not much to the be said, not, the, Yeah, there's not much info out there other than the tease. Um, yeah. Snecrons versus a Space Marine chapter. Yeah, I, I'm gonna <laughs> kind of, I'm I'm gonna play it by ear on that one. I think I I picked up the majority of the Kill Team content that came out, and as much as I do enjoy it, it's one of those situations where I've already got a lot that I've still not done much with. And I mean, I recently picked up the the newer Necromunda expansion as well to get the oh, terrain you get from so that. So much terrain in that, yeah. So I've I've got a lot of, of toys that, that we'll need playing with when I can play with people again. <laughs> so we'll see. We'll see, maybe. Yeah. 
I uh, the thing for me is with uh, Kill Team next year is I wonder if they are going to update the rules on it mm. uh, just with changes to Warhammer 40k, uh, particularly like Marine stat lines. Now now that they all get two wounds, whether they're going to update that to mm. reflect uh, to reflect that in Kill Team, uh, I I think they really should because you know one game it, it sh- the the two systems should tie in together quite nicely. I think. So it would feel a bit rubbish if they didn't bother updating Kill Team properly if they're going to bring out a new set for it. I agree up to a point. The problem with that is I found Marines pretty busted in Kill Team as it was. I really struggled with with power armor, you know, forces. So I think if you start adding two wounds on there, especially if there's not a reasonable point hike to reflect that, which means that your kill teams for Marines are going to be very small. Like Yeah, but that's but to be fair, they should be. They should be. Because uh, they are elite teams. They, the, you know, if you're fielding a team of dudes in power armor, I kind of feel like they should, they should only be like five models on the board, mm-hmm. you know? So, and, you know, let's not even start on custodies. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fair. Um. But we'll we'll see we'll see uh, it's it's a fair point though because there there's different balancing issues between the two games that they need to kind of figure out mm-hmm. so I'm sure they have it all in hand and it'll be all fine and dandy when it comes out. Um, the other bit of news that I thought would be worth having a chat about uh, is Steam. You know that that uh, video game thing that's installed on all of our PCs is currently doing a Steam Digital Tabletop Fest. Ooh. So, yes, thank you. Uh, <laughs> I felt so, obligated. <laughs> so, obviously, this this episode will be going out on... He checks his calendar. Sunday, the 25th. The uh, Tabletop Fest is running from the date of this recording, the 21st, up until the 26th. Now, what are they doing for it? Um, well, predictably, they've, they've got a few titles on sale mm-hmm. for it. What is quite cool, though, is that they are doing uh, some live panels mm-hmm. for it as well, which I think is rather neat. Unfortunately, listener, by the time you're hearing this, it'll all be done. But I'd like to think that they're gonna they're gonna record it all, and it'll, you'll be able to access it uh, in the future. I think in fairness, one... it, it mm-hmm. won't all be done because it's till the 26th. So That's if you're listening true. to it on Sunday, you can play tomorrow. <laughs> That's true. Uh, they've got some live playthroughs of games as well. And yeah, like I say, they've got um, they, they've got um, some titles on sale. Although like, I did find this quite funny. So it's a tabletop fest, right? Mm-hmm. So they have, predictably a load of um, ports of uh, of tabletop games mm-hmm. to digital. That makes sense, right? That's yep. fine. They have also got some outright video games, but they are based on tabletop IPs. So things like, like a load of the Warhammer games. Like I think Warhammer Total War 2 is in here on sale. Um, so I'll allow it. They've got Civilization Six in here. I'm like, you, you, no, you're you're not a board game. Get out, get out of here. <laughs> so yeah, I I agree with you. Um, but on that balance as well, 
like looking at some of the things that they're streaming, they've got things like uh, Salasta, which is a an early access game, which is basically a, uh, a port of well, it uses the fifth edition D and D rules, but it's not it's not a D and D you know it's not a D and D session. It's it's a computer game. It's using the rules for for Dungeons and Dragons certainly, um, and I think that's the same with quite a few of the things. They've got XCOM too. They. It's an XCOM board game, but it's based on a video game. <laughs> I suppose the the way you could look at it is, admittedly, obviously they're not direct ports of computer uh, of computer games of board games, right? So they're not they're not direct ports in the same way that say like Small World or Suro is, but they are they take cues from how board games function or, or role playing games in the case of um, Celasta. Um So I suppose you could say that. Okay, yeah, that's fair. And actually, uh, I learned this the other week. Um, uh, if anyone else watches uh, Snipe and Wib on YouTube, they did an episode about an old um, skirmish game called Laserburn from the late 70s, early 80s, which was done by, I can't remember which guy it was, one of the early guys in Citadel Miniatures and Games Workshop. Right. wrote the rules for it apparently that went on to be the inspir like the the mechanics of that game went on to be the inspiration behind XCOM. so ah, the okay. same sort of mechanical system was used in the first XCOM game so okay yeah i i get i can i can kind of understand where you're coming from because like XCOM does feel kind of like because it's turn-based feels like a digital board game mm-hmm. in a way um, Civ Six is pushing it though. <laughs> like, yeah, no, I I agree. Like Civ is 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 on the cusp there, you know, of, of not quite being in that realm. Do you know what I find <laughs> quite quite funny though is I was looking at a few of the digital editions for various board games, and some of them are great. Some of them are, are really pretty, really well done. You know, really bring to life the game that you've only seen in its kind of analog form yeah and then i was looking i was looking at scythe you know the the sort of uh Russian oh, yeah. mech game and like it's it does bring some of the game to life but some of the the miniatures look quite bland um <laughs> in in game and i was like you could have maybe like spice those up a little bit so they don't look like you know board game pieces to that extent <laughs> you know giving them a bit of color maybe giving them a bit of nice you know Nice appearance, a few animations, maybe. Uh, but they're like, no, no, it's 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 a it's a pop. So I have I've actually got uh, the digital version of Scythe. Oh, okay. And I have played it and see those miniatures. Yes. Within the game, you have the option to paint them. Oh, really? You can apply your own color schemes ah. to the 3D models. Well, that's what I get for just watching a trailer. <laughs> But um, I mean, so so, how do you feel about like digital versions of tabletop games in general? Um, I don't mind them. I think there's a place for them, certainly. Uh, do, you, do you play much of them, or do, do you own any? Or I have Tabletop Simulator. Uh, I think that is the only sort of game in that vein that's not like Baldur's Gate and things like that. Yeah, um, that I have. Um, I don't generally bother with them too much. Um, even Tabletop Simulator, I think I've played it three or four times, maybe. I, 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 I have a hard time with Tabletop Simulator. Um, 
for a start, like I've got like my laptop's fine, it's serviceable, but it's mm. not like powerful, right? Mm. A tabletop simulator feels like it requires a lot more power than it should. Yeah. If you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I'm literally just trying to play a game of wingspan on this and it feels <laughs> it feels like you are draining my like laptop for everything that it's worth. Leaving um, it a withered husk. <laughs> I just I, I don't find it a very intuitive thing to use at no. all no um, it's very clunky and i think part of that I, I imagine part of that is because it's got to serve several mistresses which mm. i think is probably quite tricky to to program uh from their side of things which which is problematic um but i know exactly what you mean i played so we played a game of uh house on the haunted hill uh, oh yes on tabletop simulator and we got through the whole game but there were times that I was sort of internally screaming when I was just trying to get it to do something, you know, trying to flip a tile or or something like that. And I was I was almost kind of looking for a flip table feature. Uh, there is a flip table feature within I know, it. I know. <laughs> <laughs> did you find it? I did. I didn't use it because I won, so I was I was fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like uh, so. Tabletop simulator aside, I do. I actually have quite a lot in my Steam library just by virtue of blindly going for these humble bundles mm-hmm. that have like maybe one game that I'm interested in owning. Uh, <laughs> I have uh, plugged an embarrassing like number of hours into just the digital version of Twilight uh, Struggle, just right. because no one up here that I know really plays it, mm-hmm. so. <laughs> I just quite enjoy playing the PC from time to time. Um, I've got like other. I mean, I, listeners to the podcast will know that I've been playing a, bit, a fair bit of Blood Bowl too lately. Uh, it's going to be a sad day actually when the new Blood Bowl comes out because I that might be the thing that pushes me over the edge to get a new laptop. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, we'll see what happens when that day comes. Um, but yeah, um, I think. I think I've used them a lot more given the current circumstances. I'll say mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Uh, particularly, and not, not not just things available on Steam, but things like Roll20, mm-hmm. God, like, well, I don't think I clocked a single minute on Roll20 before um, the pandemic kicked in. Mm. Um, I don't know. I'm sure it can tell me somewhere like how much time I've spent on that over the last six months. But Roll Roll Twenty unfortunately does tell you that. Uh you, oh, you no. would wish it didn't, uh especially if you were me. <laughs> but it does it does tell you uh of how many hours you've clocked up. Uh for me it's it's in excess of three thousand. Uh I know Jeez, that. No. I suppose like it's not just your gaming sessions, that's all the pre planning that you have to do. Because yeah. you have to do some of it on Roll Twenty, like prep the maps, prep the tokens, all of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Get the spooky music that you do. Yep. Um yeah. So wow. But um so the only thing that I wonder is, am am I still gonna be using all of this once life returns to normal? Um I don't know. I suppose it depends a lot on what other people want to do. I would love to go back to role playing in person, but I, I think that's certain... a yeah. I think that's a, it's a big question. I think a lot of people are probably asking themselves that about a lot of things, aren't they? You know, like how how are things going to look? It's a million dollar question at the moment. I mean, 
and and I'm I'm a bit like yourself. Like I, I've obviously got a lot of games now on on Roll Twenty where I I only previously really had one, um, pre sort of lockdown, um, and that was just by sort of convenience more than anything else because the people were so scattered it was easier to do it on there than meet up. Um, so I, I totally know where you're coming from with that. I think it is going to be interesting seeing what people's preferences are i think we'll probably see initially not everyone's going to maybe want to go back but i think eventually we'll probably get something close to the way things were yeah yeah i i, I suppose you, like 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 you say that the scenario i can imagine me still using roll 20 is some of these games uh i'm in now uh with people that are on the other side of scotland mm-hmm. and in different parts of the uk now so mm-hmm. Um, you know trying to do that face to face might be a little impractical well this is it I I run games now for people in Carlisle Um, you know I I run games for people sort of across bits of Scotland much like you mentioned there as well as as a as a fellow former denizen of Carlisle I can make this joke Uh, is that your charity work (laughs) (laughs) for for folks living in Carlisle send your hate mail to (laughs) Yeah, uh, I love Carlisle. Really, it's uh, it's the thing with Carlisle is right. A lot of people who are from Carlisle will complain about Carlisle, uh-huh. right? They don't know how good they've had it <laughs> relatively to a lot of places in the north of England. Carlisle is a delight. Do you know what's quite right? strange? I've only just really this has only even really occurred to me. Right, so both you and myself has tethers to three places because we both have links to Burnley. We both yes. have links to Carlisle and we both mm-hmm. have links to Glasgow. <laughs> well, and, and so this is it, right? My, uh, listeners, my dad is from Burnley. That's how I, I, I have a link to it. And Tom is actually from Burnley. So I, I've never lived in Burnley, but I, like I will visit it to see my granddad, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll say this. I, I, I rate Carlisle over Burnley. I would, I would give you that for free. <laughs> <laughs> But like, but that's my point. Like, Carlisle is um, is a lot nicer than a lot of the towns in the north of England. Preston, for God's sake, like uh, places. I'm gonna just start slagging off random cities. And towns <laughs> in the north I, of I worked in Preston north. for for two years as well. <laughs> so uh, my mate went to uh, University of Central Lancashire, and Preston apparently had the nickname De Preston. <laughs> see what they did there but, uh, um, we're getting yeah. way way segued here. Yeah, that's the that's the fun of this um right yeah to 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 bring it back off slagging like random towns in the north of england um yeah so di- digital board gaming it, we've got the uh steam uh tabletop uh festival thing <laughs> that's <laughs> happening uh oh it's got talisman on there for like one pound 30 <laughs> you're not on a shopping trip josh you're doing a podcast i've never even heard of this chainsaw warrior lords of the night is apparently a gw title and that is 95p i mean you'd be doing yourself a disservice if you didn't buy it at this juncture i mean uh uh yeah it is it is lit yeah, it doesn't look as exciting as the title implies. I'll just say that. Okay. Um, 
Anyway, uh, we'll we'll get back to some sort of um, structure. Uh, I have uh, this week uh, joined an adventure league game of D and D, being ran by Dave Wright. I thought this might be a nice cue for us to maybe talk about organized play for role playing games. Uh, how they differ from regular campaign play, mm-hmm. and whether we like, basically whether we like them or not. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. um, so, so eventually, for those of you who don't know, is uh, Wizards of the Coast's official uh, organized play system. I think that's the right way of describing it yep. for Dungeons and Dragons. Mm-hmm. So, the idea being is that you create a character using. Um, Mostly the same set of rules. You get a couple of little, a, a couple of little differences in building your character and how they progress. Um, but you, what you do is you record everything that you've done, and the idea is that that means you can take that character and you can basically join in like a random pickup game um, at a different gaming store in the days gone by, or with a different group of people on on Roll Twenty or whatever your preferred digital platform is mm-hmm. um so that's that's D's equivalent mr mannering here um used to run the scottish pathfinder society which of course was uh, paizo's equivalent of that mm-hmm. and in fact if, if, if am i right in saying paizo were doing it a long time before wizards were you are incorrect sir Oh, I am. I, I stand corrected. <laughs> so Wizards um, had sort of the biggest one. They had what was called Living Greyhawk uh, way, way back in, in the early editions of D&D. Um, they had Living Greyhawk, which was a, a version of what is now Adventure League. Um, Adventure League kind of became a thing in fourth edition, mainly um, fourth edition D&D. Uh, and it kind of came out around the same time as uh, Pathfinder Society did, um, although they were very different. Uh, Adventure League at that point in time was focused more on an encounter or two rather than a sort of a scenario or a story. Um, I've just realized I'm mansplaining organized play to you, so I apologize. This is that. this is all right. Like, I'm, I'm fine. <laughs> mansplain away, sir. Um uh, whereas Paizo at that point focused more on taking from what sort of Living Greyhawk had been, where it was a, a full scenario, a full adventure, um, and actually telling a story for all the, the characters involved for a, a slightly longer period of time. I think that the idea at that point for Wizards was people didn't, ha- they, they felt that people didn't have as much time, so they could only sit down for maybe an hour, two hours, whereas uh, Pathfinder Society needed you to be there for sort of four to five hours. Um, but I think they realized that. It, it didn't have the popularity that Living Greyhawk did, or that um, that Pathfinder Society was having. So they went back to the the sort of more traditional format that Adventures League now uses, as far as I understand. Because I've I've never been involved with Adventures League. So uh, obviously, I've only had one session of it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, very fun, by the way. I've gone, uh, Tom. I've gone for a character. Not not a complete rip-off of a character that I never really spent enough time playing, but I've done a half-orc barbarian okay. again. So get to put on a Cockney accent and swear a lot and hit things with my axe. So uh, <laughs> um, so there is, so, so I, I don't really have much of an insight into how Adventure League works. Mm-hmm. Um, I have played 
two games of Pathfinder Society. Mm-hmm. Um, so my my observations, basically the the reason why I didn't continue going to Pathfinder Society, apart from having other commitments, was frankly I didn't need something like that. Mm-hmm. I was in a regular game with you, uh, ran by Tom and with people I knew. Mm-hmm. So for me. There wasn't there, there wasn't any necessity for it. Whereas I could totally appreciate that it's a great thing for people who want to try it, want to get into it, but perhaps uh, their friends aren't in, uh, aren't interested in picking it up. Mm-hmm. Um, I imagine a lot of the people who go to society kind of fit that bill. Yeah, um, I think it it serves a couple of different. Um sort of uses that are really good and i certainly found this when i did it one it it allows you to to just get a, a non-committal fix if you will so you don't have to commit to you know every every sunday or anything like that you can go as and when you want and you can go wherever you want as well so you're not even tied to like one person's house one store one event you know you can go wherever you want so it gives you a bit of flexibility in that i think the other thing as well that I found it really useful for is if you don't have a stable role-playing group and perhaps you don't even know that many people that role-play because you, you run in a different circle or your friends have, you know, they've gone their separate ways, they've got families, whatever it might be, it gives you a really good way to meet people in your area if you're lucky enough to have a, an organized play area in your area who who share your hobby because a lot of the people that, that we now game with uh, in in several groups I'm in are people I met through organized play um, who I wouldn't have known if I hadn't been involved in organized play. And I don't do organized play anymore. I don't do it with them. I don't do it, period. But I still game with them in campaigns. So I think you, and I know that happens for a lot of people, you sort of, you spin out of it into home campaigns and home games, which I think ultimately are the, the better medium, certainly, but they serve a different purpose. Yeah, I would agree with you on that take. Um, I mean, uh, again, this this game I'm in with Dave feels a bit different to regular Adventure League because we're going to do it like once a fortnight and Mm -hmm. it is going to be the same group of people. So for all intents and purposes, it is going to feel like a regular campaign, Mm -hmm. Uh, except, you know, our characters will now have the option of being used elsewhere. Mm. Uh, I think um, that... Here's one thing that happened in one of the games I played in Pathfinder Society, and this highlights one of the potential issues with it for me. Okay. So I created a gnome sorcerer, right? Mm-hmm. And his thing was all illusionary spells, right? Mm-hmm. So the low level as well. This is only level one. Yeah. Right? So that's fine. The scenario we got thrown into, there were literally no adversaries that were uh, susceptible to that. Mm-hmm. They were all immune to illusionary spells. <laughs> yep. Right. So in a normal campaign, <laughs> if you're sitting down when when you're creating your characters and you sat down with the the, the DM and like uh, the other players, I don't know, Tom. Maybe you would do this if I tried it. Like I, I tried building a, an illusionist sorcerer, and you're just going, <laughs> "Guess who's playing an undead campaign?" <laughs> like. I think, I, yeah, I think that's that can certainly happen in a home campaign, and I think that's poor GMing. But I would counter to that that if you came, so say for example, you for a home campaign, you rocked up with an illusionist, I wouldn't begrudge running a session that you could not affect things in it. You know, an undead 
dungeon crawl because absolutely. i think absolutely i think i think maybe like once <laughs> once in a blue moon might yeah. be all right um and I, it it's not it's not great it wasn't great fun having it thrown at me at my first session no <laughs> no definitely not i think that, that doesn't give you room to stretch your character's legs and it is certainly a a floor of of organized play there's there's a lot of flaws of organized play if, if we're being you know incredibly critical and brutally honest um one of them being that because you are running a pre-written adventure with a group of for all intents and purposes possibly random people it is so hard to get a sort of party composition as it were in in traditional senses um and have the balance that you would have in potentially a home game it's also so open to interpretation how hard a scenario is you know one author might think a scenario is fairly reasonable um when someone else looks at that they might think it's a it's you know it's a slobber knocker um puts you through your paces hold hold on sorry can can you just repeat that word for me please slobber knocker i've never heard that (laughs) (laughs) it's like a gauntlet basically okay cool cool um yeah it just it just absolutely you know batters you left right and center um and i've i've run the same scenario for two different groups and seen them perform vastly differently Mm -hmm. and it's not just the roll of the dice it's it's the composition of the party and the experience of the players um there are usually some safety nets put in but they only really get you so far (laughs) Uh, so organized play can be quite nasty for that. And I, the, the big th- issue that I found people have with, with organized play, and I do totally understand this, is continuity, even for your character, can be very messy. Um, right. So if you sort of want your character to have a story that makes sense, you're probably going to either have to have a headcanon, for, mm-hmm. for a better term, uh, where those events kind of logically transpire, or you have to be quite picky about what scenarios you play to make sure that they logically make some sort of sense, which can mean you have to do almost research to make sure you're getting the story in the right order. Um, and and I know this is partly an issue with Adventurers League because Adventurers League focuses, different seasons focus on different storylines that yeah. were told uh, via the, the D&D modules, uh, be that sort of the Curse of Strahd or Dragon Heist, you know, the various mm-hmm. modules that came out, the the seasons would tie into those. Now, I don't know how it works anymore because I, I don't really know Adventures League, as I mentioned, but I know at one point, you, if you played an adventure that took place during the Curse of Strahd storyline, you essentially got locked into that and you couldn't leave that storyline until you'd done a certain adventure that allowed you to leave. Oh, right. Okay. Um, because mm. one of the things about the Curse of Strahd is it's set in Ravenloft, which has these yeah. encompassing mists that prevent people from escaping. Yeah, uh, so it, makes sense that you, it doesn't make sense that your character could just jump peace away. out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that can be very problematic, and, and I saw that problem a couple of times, and it happened to me a couple of times with Pathfinder Society where I'd, I'd play an adventure from, like, say, season six, and then a couple of weeks later, I'd play an adventure from season two uh, that would have a character who was dead in the last adventure, and and the things that happen in the oh. one I'm currently playing in have already happened to them, you know, and things oh, like that. Good. So you you get this weird sort of timey wimey thing going on where everything's a bit nebulous. Um, 
it is tricky. Um, and, and I think organized play has issues with it. But as I said earlier, it, it really does serve a very good purpose as well. Yeah. Um, no, absolutely. Like I, I, I totally get it's um it's to sound like a a, a ponce raison de terre. It's <laughs> it, it, it's it's uh, it, it's absolute reason to like to exist. Um and I'll like I'll I'll update you guys on like how this um eventually sessions uh, go with Dave and uh, some other guys uh, uh, in it. I mean, like, like I said, it's it, it's probably just going to feel more like a um, <laughs> a roided up campaign because we're going to be leveling up pretty much ev- every single session. Mm-hmm. So we're going to get to level twenty really quickly. <laughs> so. <laughs> I, I think it'll be good. It's a good way to get sort of a a fast food experience of Dungeons and Dragons or Pathfinder. I think, and so I believe a couple of the guys in the session, this is their first time trying role-playing in general. Okay. So uh, I suppose that's another thing that, that I suppose these uh, these um, scenarios are presumably designed to be fairly newbie-friendly, or at least the lower-level versions of them are. I would say, I certainly hope so. Yeah, I mean, well, we uh, our scenario wasn't too bad. We're, we've been fighting a lot of. Um, it's been like demonic stuff, but like rubbish demonic stuff, like Lemurs, and <laughs> uh, and like we've had like a spine devil. Okay, but that was it. <laughs> like nothing taxing. I did. I did see my fair share of casualties at low level. To be fair, in fact, my first ever pathfinder society scenario i played with the character that i kind of took to the the full extent of of uh leveling up in that system uh there was a death in my first session uh one of the characters first session brand new character just horrendously killed mauled to death by a minotaur and, and tossed into a bunch of rapids Whoa. and I, I sort of sat there you know with, with my brand new character and a brand new experience like oh my yeah. <laughs> this, this does not mess around i i always maintain right at low levels of uh rpgs the most dangerous thing is the environment yeah <laughs> like, yeah it is definitely i've seen like more more like people drop to like half health just from failing a climb check <laughs> than than uh, actually getting downed in combat. Yep, yep, hundred percent. It is uh, is a cruel mistress. Yeah, but uh, so that's uh, that's uh, gaming wise what I've been up to this week as well. But previously, uh, week prior to that, we were continuing our uh, Star Wars campaign as well. We were, we were indeed. Uh, which yeah. We are doing on on roll twenty. Which has been really interesting. We we kind of took a bit of a break for for a couple of reasons, but we were able to to jump back in uh, and pick up our our continuation on that and uh, revisit the characters again. Uh, you you playing your R droid? <laughs> I love R three E seven. I'm gonna have I like I I have so much fun playing him uh, because you can. Because you're an art, like, and I don't know, Tom Tom might throw me a curveball later on in the, the campaign, but because you're playing an R-Droid, like, the NPCs and the other characters kind of treat you in a certain way, <laughs> like... Yeah, I think there is, there is, there's a parallel to sort of being a bit of a second-class citizen, 
Um, mm. Because, I mean, Star Wars has kind of droid right movements. I think they appear in uh, Rogue One, or, or it might be Solo. One of those has like a, a kind of droid rights moment mm-hmm. in it. Um, and, and there is a lot of where droids are sort of indentured servitudes, uh, servitudes, indentured servants. I'll let you edit that. Uh, and, uh, it's remaining in. <laughs> and there are, you know, there are a lot of elements where they're, they're kind of dragged around unwillingly. But then you also get these interesting examples of very characterful droids like R2-D2 uh, mm-hmm. that are quite sassy little robots um, and that can be quite endearing um, as well, like BB-8. Um, mm-hmm. And you, you get a nice bit of being able to walk those two worlds where some people will treat you as kind of a bit, they don't even give you a second look and where some mm-hmm. people might treat you as a bit of a, a cutesy accessory. <laughs> I, I've had like a lot of like, I've had a few NPCs like sort of laughing daringly at some ex, at like usually me swearing. Yeah. But obviously in, in game, it's just coming out in beeps and whistles and they're just going, <laughs> you ridiculous Ardroid. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think that's that's something I, I try and keep in the back of my mind when we're doing, uh, as, as we're not done as much as, as I would have liked, but when we are doing the, the role-playing sessions, I do have to mentally remember that you are a tin can that is beeping and whistling and how people would treat that, especially when, you know, you start cursing or or shouting at people and, and all I imagine is this, you know, bucket of bolts rustling and, and hooting. <laughs> I mean, one of my favourite moments was uh, so we were getting used to the ship that we legitimately acquired, mm-hmm. um, stolen, uh, but, uh, and uh, one of my favourite moments is there's four like dormitories on the ship, and uh, R three just claimed one of them like yep. in, before like Scott's character got a chance to call dibs on one. So yeah, just like. His little wheels spinning as he, he goes inside yeah. and, and sets up shine. <laughs> but um, I, I think the reason why we haven't covered as much as uh, Tom was anticipating was because, well, Tom hinted that there was a gambling game within this RPG. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so there is a rule. There is a rule that whenever a group of players in any RPG discover a gambling game is that the rest of the session is derailed trying to play this game. Mm-hmm. So that's exactly what happened. Yep. It, and, and you know what? Like, it, It's not even like it was a big thing. I literally said there are some people playing Sabacc, and you ignored it for, for a good sort of 20 minutes. I think you went off and you had a chat with a, a different character about the main plot uh, and agreed that you were going to follow the main plot. And then just as like that kind of simmered down, someone went, what what were they playing over there? And that was it. You went off, and, and we spent the, the next sort of hour and a half. I had to find the rules for this game, and then we sat and basically played Digital Sabacc by Rolling Dice. It was great. I loved it. You folded after the first hand. Yeah, but it was it was a funny moment. It was. It was. Basically. Now I like our little crew. We've uh, we've kind of established the uh, the band of misfit arseholes in space. So <laughs> yeah, it's it's nice. Like I love a lot of elements of of the Star Wars universe. I, I really like sort of the old Republic with the Jedi and the Sith. 
I like sort of you know all the the stuff with the rebellion, and they they may certainly feature down the line. But at the moment, it's nice to have this kind of Firefly esque miscreants, you know, a bunch of uh, scum and villainy that have they've stolen a ship. You know, they've all got quite sort of um, not sinister backgrounds, but certainly questionable um, yeah. origin stories for the most part. Um, and they're just sort of surviving and you know trying to keep the the ship fueled up and and food in their bellies uh, and not get caught by the people that are after them uh, and or the empire, <laughs> uh, which is going to be good. Uh, I'm really looking forward, especially for the first sort of few arcs, just just exploring that before we maybe deep dive into some of the other elements of the the universe because there's there's so much to the the Star Wars universe that gets touched on but doesn't necessarily get explored. And I loved like the Rogue One and, and Solo, where they went into sort of more of the not Force-related aspects. Or Rebellion-related, for that matter. Yeah, well, I mean, Rogue One was quite Rebellion. Uh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, should have thought, thought about that before opening my mouth. I'll allow it. I'll allow it. I'll give you a pass. You can't edit that out either. <laughs> All right, deal, deal. <laughs> uh, how, are you, how are you finding running uh, Star Wars? Um, it's tricky. Um, because it's a new system and it's the first time, especially for your group, um, that I've run a system that I don't know. Because when we started uh, Agents of the Valakur and all the games that came after that, you know, going back was it five, six, seven years now. Um, uh, yeah, let's not think about it. <laughs> uh, that was Pathfinder, which I was well-versed in. I already knew the system. Some of you knew the system or had done 3.5. And then two or three of you, we had to kind of upskill, for want of a better word. Um, Me. You, Scott, uh, I think Barry as well. Barry. That was Barry's first crack at it, wasn't it? Certainly Pathfinder. He'd, he'd maybe dabbled in some other systems before. Um, whereas now with Star Wars, it's a system that I've never run or played uh, you've played a handful of games with Dave, and beyond that, nobody else has touched it. And to my knowledge, nobody else even owns a rulebook except for me. Um, certainly not beyond like a digital copy. Um, I mean, Fantasy Flight shouldn't have took it out of print. To be fair, no. no. <laughs> so no, it, it, it's certainly hard to get hold of uh, a decent copy nowadays. And I mean, I had to pay through the nose for some of mine. Um, to get them, just to make sure we could run it properly. Uh, <laughs> and that adds an extra level of complexity because if a rule query does come up, as much as I will try to just roll with the punches, sometimes you do get that bit where I have to go, I'm going to need to stop. <laughs> I'm going to have to go and read for oh, five guys. minutes. <laughs> um, so yeah, that that's tricky. But other than that, I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, good. Now, that hasn't come up too often, to be fair. And um, I think the thing with uh, this compared to Dungeons & Dragons and Pathfinder is, uh, for want of a better way of putting it, the combat is a little less uh, tactical. Mm-hmm. Like we've, we've not got minis on a map mm-hmm. and, uh, uh, you know, getting your your, your your character into precise uh, positions. It's a lot more... Um, Theatre of the mind. Yeah, it's very theatre of the mind. It's very cinematic action as well. And there's a lot more agency given to the players to dictate how things go right or they go wrong. 
um, which is one of the things I really like about the system. But you can also tell because you're a group that's so um, embedded in hard number systems like Pathfinder and Dungeons and Dragons, uh, and this isn't to, to your discredit at all, you're not used to having that level of control. Um, so when when I turn around to you and go, okay, what does that look like? It's it's not just, you know, how do you want to kill it or how does that blow look? You have to spin how is that an advantage or how is that a disadvantage? Um, so it does put a bit more agency and, and maybe a little bit more work on the players in that sense, which is, is really good to get into the habit of doing that. But I can totally see how it's it's a, it's pushing everyone out of their comfort zone a little bit. Yeah, but in a good way. Yeah, in a good. Way. I think you've got to be in that position to to develop. Yeah. So um, yeah. Well, again, uh, listeners, I'll keep you up to date with uh, with how that all goes. And I think with that, I think that's all we've got time for. He says, looking at us approaching like the fifty minute mark. On the recording. <laughs> Uh, half hour episodes it's that's fine. what you get um, it's fine it's a bonus yeah. episode a bumper episode uh, yeah every, everyone everyone knows what they're signing up for nowadays <laughs> anyway look anyway uh, guys thank you very much for listening uh, this time and until next take care bye bye